Welcome back. War Horse Podcast, Episode 12, coming to you at the tag end of this very comfy Thanksgiving weekend. On the set list this evening, I have for you what many, I think, have been waiting for for some time. A bit of a divergence from our usual fire hose of abstraction, speculation, theory, religiosity, and some very uh, just basic discussion. First, we're going to approach gear, and I believe in the second hour, make a stab at approaching collapse I don't think that we'll do anything as silly as just make a bunch of stupid predictions rather I'm hoping to throw some analysis and commentary at what it appears we're looking at right now take it from the novelist point of view Um, it's a little known fact that Among the many Washington, D.C. and Hollywood ties is um, a pipeline of various forms of writers. Speech writers becoming script writers. Script writers becoming campaign narrative designers etc. So that will be... The whole thing might be free. I'm sort of envisioning a third hour addendum solely for subscribers because there are a few few things to hold back on, but... Diving into this discussion of gear. A couple of the basic principles I tend to adhere to. One is none. Two is one. Always upgrade your weaponry. And um, Musashi's one of our patron saints here. War Horse podcast. His quote about, um, I've got it here, quote, you should not have any special fondness for a particular weapon or anything else for that matter. Too much is the same as not enough. Without imitating anyone else, you should have as much weaponry as suits you. 
it seems to me that you should not have a special fondness for a particular weapon or anything else for that matter applies in the sense that if you favor Glocks you should probably not become attached to any one particular Glock as one example the claws or anything else special fondness for a particular weapon or anything else for that matter in the context of gear obviously that's a pretty easy expansion to make there you know special fondness for a particular backpack particular pair of boots particular knife I think that in Musashi's version of the warrior's way one of the best examples that we have right um Anything else also pertains to attachments in general. Even though I've read um, a couple of biographies or sort of biographical commentaries on Musashi, I don't recall now if he had kids. So while I personally can, you know, I can go along with not having a special fondness for anything else and even the attachments, a lack or a, even a studied preference um, or a method that leads you to avoiding attachment, This, I think, would, you know, will apply to our two collapse, etc. Um, the whole kind of superstructure around the Warhorse podcast is it's, you know, manifold, many rooms, of course, um, options built in, but the real hope was to start a discussion and then expand it not letting it you know particularly be the only discussion but to start an important what I think is an important discussion around uh, trauma and some type of spiritual approach to collapse it's not just that you know we should open our eyes and Understand that consumerism is an empty path and that there are, you know, other things to do with your life. Um, so don't misunderstand that this, this is very much being driven uh, in that direction. Anyway, moving along, too much is the same as not enough. The guy who has 50 guns and two magazine, magazines for each versus the guy who has two guns and 50 magazines each. Without imitating anyone else, you should have as much weaponry as suits you. James LaFond, as I understand it now, has... 
I don't even know that he's carrying his sticks anymore. I think he does. However, his knives are, from what I understand, you know, pretty common kind of cheapo knives. And um, this is a guy who you would not want to tangle with, no matter who you are. Kind of goes along with the um, not having a special fondness. I have to admit I fail on that one in, in a number of ways. But we'll get into this a little bit more, I hope, in in this gear dump edition of the War Horse Podcast. Our sponsor tonight, in lieu of a sponsor, I shouldn't even make the joke, but um, an homage that I... For newcomers, every episode I make the joke, our new sponsor. So far, there are no sponsors. That's why it's funny. But tonight, I want to pay homage to a book that I am rereading for, I believe, the third and a couple of skims times. Um, Twilight Language, Michael Hoffman, 2021, came out earlier this year. From the back, 20 years after the publication in 2001 of his decoding text, Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, Michael Hoffman's much-anticipated sequel appears in the 2021 Gateway, Twilight Language, a book of radical disenchantment and revelation of the method in an era of nearly universal occult initiation. Nearly universal occult initiation. I wonder... If we were to cast our eyes, just sweep them across, you know, the landscape of social media slash manosphere, tactical world. Uh, not, I'm, not, I'm not accusing any right-wing bodybuilders, but you know that broad area of uh, social media and the internet of which I speak. I would wonder... If your eye would fall on anyone in particular who might be especially initiated into the occult. Cult being some covered up shit. Which will also, um, if I can remember, take us a couple places in hour two, I think. I think you'll get my drift. Okay, so fantastic, truly phenomenal, an actual uh, risk-taking skin in the game, like leaving nothing on the table and holding nothing back book in terms of its content, in terms of prose and um, historical arcane knowledge and in terms of weaving a kind of supra logical and common sense narrative at the same time it there's literally you know that's there is nothing else like it and um, I can't recommend it highly enough just rummaging in through this pocket 
Okay. So we went over sort of my a uh, couple of my decision-making guidelines there. One is none, two is one. Always upgrade your weaponry and, you know, have as much weaponry as suits you. I can already sense the um, desire to to make critical statements about other people's approach to these things, and so I'm going to let that go down the river and um, just tell you what I do, and then you know you can com- compare contrast. I hope that there is some value. In this sort of uh, discussion, so I might as well start off with with vehicles. Let's do that. Um, many considerations, obviously. If you have a large rural property, you likely already have. Um, a couple of ATV, UTV, etc., et sort of vehicles. You probably have a truck. You probably have a go-into-town car. If you live in the city, you might have no car at all. You might have one car. You know, suburbs, I guess, generally, families have two. If you're if you were planning on moving yourself or family in any type of urgent fashion, obviously you should have some fuel put away. A vehicle capable of carrying you through whatever obstacles you foresee in your immediate path and um, presumably if you were to have to make your move early in a collapse or continuing sort of to devolve situation you're going to have a mixed bag you're not going to have a lot of unknowns and that's the same I think further down the line. You might have more organized threats to face down the line, but you're going to have like hordes of um, of very upset and panicked people moving every which way toward the beginning. Um, I, I recommend, as has been said in the pilot episodes, If you haven't made any major moves by now, um, you know, you're probably not going to. I just looked up and I once again see David Lynch's fucking hobo bum. He's even smoking a cigarette. So two of them 
Okay, they're passing off into the into the dark. Whew. This is the exact same spot, by the way. I'm not it's not a bit. It's not a skit. So for my purposes, um I another I suppose I should have put this in in my little list of um, guidelines. Mobility is survivability. A thing I picked up from John Hurth, retired Special Forces, um, very capable um, and skilled fellow. Mobility is survivability. Makes sense. So, uh, Dodge Ram 2012, 3500, Cummins, heavy-duty rear-end, 411, air shocks, fuel cell. Basically, that fuel cell doubles the range. And I'm, this is a fairly new vehicle to me, and I'm in the process of expanding that range drastically. Such that, you know, I could feasibly damn near cross the country without ever pulling over to piss. You know, it wouldn't be the first time that I pissed in a bottle. Um... And, uh, hell, might not be the, you know, who knows what the future holds, but you see the point. The freeway is just a pipeline of, you know, one level of abstraction, corruption, cheap plastic shit, and vice and sin. So every time you get off the freeway, you've landed well, not every time, but oftentimes you've landed in that milieu. And so if you could avoid it as much as possible, that might be wise. Um, I have laid in a good, you know, small parts. Basic maintenance parts. Brakes, bearings, U-joints, belts, fans, filters... This particular truck was chosen because it's diesel. There are a lot of... Um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend this if, unless you know your way around ranches and you can feel pretty confident in evaluating whether something has been abandoned or... And, you know, you know you want to have your filters in place, you know, dropping in somebody's uh, dyed farm fuel from the middle of Kansas might might not help you get where you're going. But um, I was saying this thing has what's called an MM3 tuner, which, as you'd imagine, retunes the engine. And this extends life drastically. There are some some other mods 
steering box, heavy duty sway bar, and some exhaust mods that we don't need to go into. When all is said and done, I would like to have much beefier aftermarket, likely steel front and rear bumpers, and um, a headache rack. As you guys know, I I roll out every day with a pretty, well, an entirely standard, same stuff every day sort of carry. SIG 230 Winkler knives operator in the left front pocket, Benchmade or a Spyderco in the front right. In the vehicle, the Tomahawk is always right over the console. Tonight, the Shorty AR is in here. I tend to, though, I, I will admit to having been lazy at times regarding, you know, what, what I actually make room for in the vehicle and allow for, right? Like, do you really want to put two or $3,000 worth of gear in your truck every day and then park it any old place? Not necessarily. I, and more than even the money is just replacing some of the stuff is not always that easy. Um, so I usually carry uh, more of a woods-based pack day-to-day. The shorty is hit or miss. I keep a Kafaru. Uh, I don't like this name. They should have come up with a better one. But it's the, the Wooby Double. The Double Wooby Doobie, they called it. Absolutely. Uh, I won't say essential because I don't, I don't want to get anybody upset. But from, from my point of view, uh, worth every penny. Super useful in all types of conditions, etc. All right, let me get my beverage here before we really launch into that. Other basics in the vehicle, um, there's always a lot of water, three gallons minimum. With, you know, at this point, we're kind of like on, on the maintenance schedule in terms of our net our next step down in collapse so as well I don't I don't live in Chicago I don't live in Los Angeles or um, so, oh yeah so there's an appropriate chest rig fitted out and binos always in the vehicle CDs I am a big believer in having hard copies of things so while I have a storage unit not quite exclusively for my books it takes up a heavy bit of that real estate Sorry that I was looking at these 
hobo demons again there. Potentially fornicating in the shadows. Sweet Jesus. Um, so, carrying on. I think that's all like basic in the truck. About the truck. I mean, it is bomb-proof, and it's it's made to go really, really far and potentially haul an enormous amount of stuff uh, should I determine that that's the way to go. My whole approach to this time period is to be as nimble, agile, mobile as I can. Um, I keep close to family, obviously. However, being that I am in exile um, from my home, there's a a constant sense of of um, you know, both sides it's like new and novel and then also like you know, Steering into a new place or not quite knowing how to get from one area to another can be, you know, can be its own set of, uh, set of stress, stressors to take up more of your bandwidth. But you, wherever you are, if you are in the city or if you are in a rural environment, I recommend uh, motivating, motivating, as Chuck Berry said, all around. Another, you know, mode of transport that I am looking into very seriously that probably you guys are way ahead of me on is um, bikes. I haven't really taken bikes seriously since I was, I don't know, about 13. Even though I lived in Portland and, of course, those people were, you know, 50 and, and owned 12 bikes and bike all the time and every day. I don't, not so much, you know, the urban thing is not really my game, but um, having another way to keep moving if your vehicle goes down is something to consider. I've got an exercise. Don't let me forget for you guys. That's very simple. As simple as it gets. But I'd be stunned if um, more than a, a couple of you guys have could check it off the checklist yet. So back to bikes. Um... I had looked into these suitcase bikes for a while. I may do so again. I'm not sure that I... I think it might be worthwhile to just have a full-size bomb-proof bike. But it's another... Part of this discussion will be because nothing's ever complete or perfect, right? Guns. My recommendation is to familiarize yourself with as many 
of the different operating systems, types, styles, even particular specific weapons as you possibly can. Being that this entire podcast, as usual, falls under the potential but unconfirmed caveat that I am just um, a novelist like Charlie Kaufman doing a sort of meta commentary in order to build up a later novel about a novelist who does a podcast. We don't necessarily need to concern ourselves too much with um, our language. But I, I still, I, you know, it's ingrained at this point after many years of thinking about these things. The special fondness part with Masashi uh, has application here. If you had to ditch your house, if you, as one example, so I, I noticed I may have a screenshot. I think I did. Um, yeah. So this is unconfirmed. It's just something I pulled off of social media. Without any debate or consultation, the New Zealand communist government has rushed through, i.e. within 24 hours, amendments to the Health Act, which includes the following measures. One, declare without proof or evidence a dwelling to be unsanitary, and in turn order the destruction of the property and the burning of associated materials. Two, hold citizens in, quor- in quote, quarantine until such time as we have tested negative to infectious disease and we have undergone preventative treatment, i.e. mandatory vaccines. Three, prohibit the keeping of animals and crops, including the killing of animals, i.e. eliminate animal and vegetable food sources. Four, close any business not complying with prescribed infection control measures. Five, forbid congregation, public or private. So evidently people in New Zealand could find themselves in this uh, hypothetical that I was about to launch into, which is for whatever reason your home burns down and you are a long way from any kind of real destination after that. If you had put all your eggs in one basket regarding your weapons and now they're destroyed or maybe inaccessible. You may need to find other weapons and who knows what those circumstances will be. Are gun stores open? Are you in a state where you can purchase guns and take possession of them that day? I think I think even Florida requires a three-day wait on handguns. I'm not entirely certain about that. That surprised me. A really wise move would be to cache a few things not too far away so that if you did need to retrieve them and then retreat to your base, your house, what have you, um, that would, it wouldn't be any big deal. In this scenario, though, 
that offsite cash would now provide you with maybe the essentials that you need to get going. I favor Glocks. I favor backup guns. And in terms of Musashi's, you know, keep keep what suits you. If I were wealthier, more wealthy or wealthy, whatever the the latest scale is, um, there would be a few acquisitions, but um, outside of true battlefield pickup sort of stuff that's inaccessible to civilians, I'm not, I don't feel, you know, undergunned. Um, again, sort of a relative statement, right? But I do have a, basically two bolt guns, two ARs, two Glocks, two backup pistols, and I think like three, four, I don't know, you know, a handful, a very small handful of either weapons that have a very important but specialized use um, or otherwise just cannot for maybe even like sentimental or heritage sorts of reasons can't let go of these things. Knives, um, again, two Benchmades, I do have a Spyderco, so that's basically three pocket knives and uh, two operators. That reminds me, I, I dropped the thread on, on LaFond a little bit. I think what I wanted to convey to the listener of the Warhorse podcast is that's NLP by the way um LaFond has done fantastic you know un, um, unparalleled work writing research <laughs> into what still seems to be, despite the Rittenhouse case, um, a widespread move towards a situation where any totally lawful, otherwise lawful use of self-defense will be construed as something else so as to make sure you get in trouble. In a theoretical, and this discussion is had in many other places, but would you, under what circumstances would you use your weapon and then not report and just ditch? way, way out in the boonies, might be far enough away from cameras, many areas of like um, shitty inner cities, 
I think that the total panopticon thing from the movies is a bit of predictive programming, but also a bit of wishful thinking. They are very prevalent, and I'm not an expert in what all is out there. But this question, you know, it used to be even prior to this discussion about our society moving into a place where self-defense is all but null and void. Um, it, it was a question back then, like, is the person who just tried to rob or rape you really going to be missed enough? I think that was kind of one of the ways that the question was, or justification for an answer, perhaps, was couched. It would seem, right, it would seem like if you discharge a firearm, that's going to be maybe a bigger deal even than if you stab a dude. And stabbing a dude seems kind of like a bigger deal in terms of media spin, um, shock value, etc., than clubbing a fool or whacking him in the nose with a heavy stick, sending some of those shards, you know, moving and um, incapacitating your attacker long enough to make an escape. In case it's not abundantly clear, um, and, you know, having no experience in terms of fighting overseas in a, in a squad with resupply or anything like that, I've always approached all these questions as either a, a lone operator, a singleton, um, or a guy with a, you know, pretty modest network and no you know, big-time political or um, otherwise connections that are going to bail me out of things. So, giving thought to these sorts of questions may be, may be useful for you. It may, may keep you out of jail, may put you into jail. I don't know. That's entirely up to you in a theoretical discussion like this. It would be difficult for me to project out and I can say, though, that Lafon's recommendations are to forego firearms in general. They were never a big piece of his self-defense plan. And, um, you know, he is, not, he is not advocating for anything stupid. He's just saying that in his experience, as, as I understand it, I don't want to put words in the man's mouth, but um, sticks are extremely effective. If you, if you know what you're doing, you have some training, which I do not. So I'm not actively... I'm looking into the idea, for sure. Um, but I'm not actively looking to carry one. Or a set. I believe you carry a set of these sticks. I should say as well, to sort of paint out you know, a context for these decisions that I'm making now, and for the future. I live in a state that it'll probably be one of the last ones to fall 
I feel pretty confident that right now a, a quote good self-defense shoot would go through here as as a good self-defense shoot is that that's not entirely certain in any in any way right no matter where you are even the best possible cut and dry quote good shoot the right political moment and operative shows up that could change um I'll get into other knives and tools when we kind of get into packs, I think. But moving on, boots. I've been a a zero-drop barefoot guy for more than 10 years. And so those are not easy to find. Though you can take a grinder and, you know, retrofit some stuff if you have to. And you get pretty close. But the point is I have, oh, I would say 15 years worth of heavy use stashed away in terms of footwear. Any Ranger, SF, infantry guy will tell you footwear is no joke. Um, And I agree. Footwear is no joke. So every day I, I just, um, you try to find that sweet spot right between not standing out, um, being somewhat stylish though, you know, being married and most of my daily activities are not, um, filled with the need to like command, uh, you know, a power position or any of this other sort of shit, um, you know, I can throw on a suit or whatever. That stuff is available as well. We're not... I think that the discussion online has expanded, you know, into these realms where we have some fantasy that um, you could get things done in, I don't know, like really tight-fitting stuff with a high heel. Like, you're going to you're gonna what exactly? Well, you know, in a boardroom, awesome. Um... For a person who rolls around near the public every day, I prefer something that I can run in. Back to LaFond um, and general approaches based on, as Musashi says, what's appropriate for you. What's appropriate for me, nine times out of ten, again, not having um, resupply for the most part other than what I've already set in. Avoidance, escape, evasion, mobility, speed, violence of action, and maybe most of all, awareness, which is, of course, why this particular episode was preceded by, I don't know, eight or so hours of discussion regarding how to build awareness, how to maintain awareness, how to get out of the, you know, the pitfalls and the ruts that you might find yourself in. There are going to be, and I always think of this guy, you know, there's going to be an old dude with a pot belly and maybe like a, a single revolver, probably 38 or even 22, 
who is going to, for a time at least, preside over some area of America as a as a sort of warlord, you know? Just the last man standing. Just the dude who already had some uh, inbuilt, maybe even developed abilities of awareness and just manages, to maybe with the, the assistance of fate or his daemon, to, to avoid all the fights. Um, in the following discussion, and man, at 44 minutes now, maybe this is all just going to blur into one gigantic super episode. We'll see, but in that discussion, well, we'll get there. I'll, I'll, I'll just let it be, because there's a fair bit to get through still. Okay, packs. We talked about footwear. Did we ever cover Lafon's? Yeah, we did. Okay, and avoidance. So you know, whatever your tactics may be. Um, whatever your squad situation may be. I think that (laughs) the lead-up is going to be fairly similar for most of us, but I could be wrong. Packs. I have one expedition size, very high-end Kifaru. That's the best brand, my favorite brand for, for that sort of stuff good people, good customer service. And if you're going to say there's some there's better gear out there, it would be by a hair and probably not in all regards. It's just that good. So one expedition size, one sort of um 3 to 5 day size. I, I you could even pass for like um a day pack, but it's a little bit bigger than that. And it has some modularity to it. If you guys are interested in this stuff, I'm happy to um, add specifics in the notes or take photos and do all kinds of gear dumps and just to get this stuff out of the way. Because, not because it's out of the way, but it's important and it does build confidence and it's good to look to people as I have um, to arrive at these conclusions who had done much more than I had at that point or at other points. So it has modularity. You know, you can expand it up, down. It's not camouflage. None of my stuff is camouflage other than one of those USGI, um, they're called the waste pack in Woodland. And it's, it's not quite a hipster ironic thing. It's just I don't have much need to to um, use it for anything other than like a a daily carry sort of satchel. So I'm not a fan of camouflage for the following reason. In the event that we are experiencing some type of breakdown, 4GW, um, what have you, it would be an advantage to, as much as is feasible, step from one side of the proverbial wire onto the other, ditch a few items, either cash them or, or otherwise, and then, you know, as seamlessly as possible, 
blend into that side of things. So I favor earth tones entirely. I do wear black shirts almost every day, but that, you know, is going to be covered up with something. In terms of clothing, which was actually not on my list, but is very important, um, as you would imagine, after all of our discussion regarding rituals and building in as much predictability and simplicity as you can into your life, um, I favor, in general, these sort of, like, stretchy, uh, I like the Prana brand, and I like it for a couple of reasons. It hits that, you know, halfway stylish, not completely slobby look. They have a nice fit. They fit well. They're, you know, they're pretty affordable. Earth Tones. Up to... I don't know, or let's say, excuse me, down to 60, you know, degrees, I don't really start thinking, I don't even start thinking about anything like a base layer. I wouldn't really need a base layer until, until we're really cold. So if we do get really cold, I have found that a base layer plus these pants will take me um, below freezing. Uh, sub-zero temperatures, I have found that those pants, plus a base layer, plus what are, I think, called joggers, that's like a thin fleece, kind of like sweatpants, something like that, um, those three layers, um, it's fine you know, down to probably, as long as I'm moving, if I were, I don't, God knows, some nightmare stuffed into a hide somewhere, it's not going to cut it probably, but moving or access to, to a, a fire, you know, no problem. So that's another reason why I, why I favor these pants. Base, or the layering concept all the military guys know this. All of your northwest, northeast, sort of uh, REI gearhead type people know this. If you don't know it, it's super simple. It's just the base layer of some type of um, thermal. I, fa I like the merino. I like to spring for the, the little bit extra where I can. And um, so if it's cold, throw top and bottoms on. And then some type of sort of earth tone wool shirt, usually. From there, um, I do favor the puffy jackets, the down. And um, if it's super cold, I will, I will go with like a, a wool, maybe a double wool layer, a shirt and a vest, and then the puffy jacket. And then if I have to top it all off with some type of rain protection or or snow protection. The only thing that I would really emphasize would be careful about the gear or the Gore-Tex. You know, it's it can be a little crunchy, a little loud. In if that's not a problem, or 
Actually, that's the other piece of camo that I that I do own. I own one of those, um, the older, what is it called? ECWS Woodland Gore-Tex jackets, which again is, it's, it's pretty darn useful. It's a little bit loud though. So I do like the um, soft shell. Swazi makes a very nice um, long tail shell type of, and it's very quiet. Um, if you want to throw down some, some extra dough, they're good. Okay, so, you know, clothing otherwise is pretty, pretty obvious, pretty standard. Although I will say, you know, I, I do tend to adhere to these as much as I can, maxim, maxims of simplification. Quick analysis reveals some uh, bullshit to that statement. I do have a couple... I mean, the truth is I have, you know, a wardrobe that's not really applicable to survival at all, but even that is has been slimmed down as much as I can. I have some, some standard go-tos that would uh, get me past uh, Tanner Guzzi or Guzzi. I don't know how you say his name. He's like a style guy on Instagram and online. He has some, some very accessible advice regarding... Um, how men should dress. I do agree that maybe it was because I had a sister. Um, although my wife still does give me give me some shit now now and again, but I uh, I don't feel too deficient in the uh, in in terms of fashion and such. It's just uh, you know, for me, it's more a question of necessity. All right, so we did packs, we did knives, food. In all my packs, I will have something a little bit long-term just in case. I will have uh, some type of small medical kit in addition to whatever would be carried on my web gear. More of like a blowout concept, right? The basics. At home, I have uh, a full paramedic or, or medics-style bag that I've pieced together over years. I do have uh, some medical training, and I've put in some extra work. Stuff like sutures, piles of Curlex, piles of bandages, um, an otoscope is very useful. Stethoscope can be useful. Everything that you may need to put into use to keep you either in place or um, to just keep people alive if you don't have resources or, or the access to resources. People have said that most of a lot of um, gearheads tend to be pretty good at medicine. They may not have like a bedside manner. You know, the, the the only people who had gotten to the the term death work before me are people who work with dying people, and um, that's just a side note for the most part. But there's a lot to be said about 
in terms of the alternate healing modalities that we've referenced. You, you know, you start to put these pieces of the mind and the body and the questions of objectivity, subjectivity, peer, con- peer conditionality, uh, man as the, the image of God and wondering where you, you know, where you s- are seated in all of this. My recommendation, simply put, is that uh, remaining calm, not saying stupid shit, and not letting your feelings or emotions go one way or the other, right? Be buried or get the best of you uh, goes a long way. I come from a family with a lot of nurses, and so... I've studied this from several angles and and of course there's been, you know, cause to engage with nurses and doctors at various times at hospitals and humor is really really useful up to a point. And that point is is I don't know, I mean Maybe not all that subtle. So I think that also I'm saying this because moving towards healing yourself is a similar sort of thing. If you're freaking out, it's going to take longer. So calming yourself down is going to be basically step number one. Once again, the SAS are right. Have a cup of tea. Calm down. Apply what knowledge you have. Okay, moving back to our our list. As mentioned, I have started to lay in um, some homeopathy stuff because I just recently found out that it actually works. Um, Herbs, salves, tonics, tinctures. A good bit of this is in place for me already. Oh, we sort of skipped over food. The point of going into the pack was actually to expand out the pack in a real cursory sense. But So touching on food, if you have six months of food right now that you will actually eat that is highly nutritious um, and you don't have to eat the same thing every meal, then I th- in my opinion, you're good. There's always going to be a phase where you're going to need to resupply. So that would be that. Jumping back to the pack idea real quick um, a lot of time spent in the woods has revealed to me a couple of things one it's very good to be able to use abo type technologies versus advanced types of technology example it's good to know how to make a fire with a bow drill in any sort of um, emergency, obviously, but any operation, unless you've just got time to screw around, the technology, you know, it wins. So I always carry multiple redundancies, uh, fire steel, multiple lighters. Lighters in the vehicle, lighters in every pack. I carry generally a possibles bag in each pack. 
sometimes I will swap an item from one to the other. For instance, something out of the long-term pack into you know, the three-day pack because I think it might come in handy. We mentioned tools earlier. Tools that I do not go without include the Leatherman, the Baco Bushcraft handsaw, and a small axe, metal uh, containers, vessels, cups, what have you. The hardest thing to make in the woods is a, a vessel, a drinking, carrying sort of vessel. I have in every pack and then a redundancy in the vehicle, those platypus uh, bladders just in case. But there's, you know, a gallon Yeti. There's usually one of those higher end Israeli bladders in each pack as well as a steel 32 ounce Nalgene nested into usually a titanium. I have a couple of the stainless steel cups as well. Throw a spork in there and you're good. In terms of redundancies, right, with the vessel, I go with two. So if one goes down, I have another. If weight is a real issue, well, let's say it this way. You have to balance your needs, right? The MSR multi-fuel stove is an outstanding thing to own, in my opinion, if you suspect an uncertain future, mainly because it will take diesel, it will take white gas, it will take butane, those little cartridges, you know. Those little cartridges and the very small screw-in stoves that kind of, that kind of fan out. Again, I think I have the MSR version. Most most situations, this is perfectly adequate. But if you're faced with uncertainty regarding your source of fuel, I like to go ahead and eat the weight and go with the, the MSR. If I'm going in the woods, I'm taking an axe of one sort or another, either the tomahawk, which I do only actually, I do not have two tomahawks. I have a Gransfer's hunting axe, which would be a passable stand-in. I do have uh, a Wetterlings, uh, maybe a two-footer. It's probably called like the Bushcraft or something like something along those lines and then the Grand Grandsfer's Scandinavian Forest Axe a little bit bigger so if I know I'm going to be out there I will and weight is not the biggest concern then I'll take that um, worth mentioning on the big pack as well as the um, the medium pack I keep saying medium because I failed to mention I have a Kifaru uh, Scout style pack it's like a lumbar very good um, day hikes, modularity again, and if you had to in the right conditions, you could probably get 
three days out of it. Um, I love that thing. Um, I'm not sure that they make them anymore. But this uh, crossed my mind because why did it cross my mind? Well, we'll come back to it. Uh, Food, vehicle, clothing, boots, knives. I think we're just talking about the importance of axes. Uh, And, of course, the saw, as mentioned, will be... There's, you know, multiples of those. um, Can be traded out into one possibles bag to another if necessary. Personally, I always take dry tinder or some form. I have for a long time used those Lexan sort of plastic waterproof tubes. You can stuff a ton of jute cord down there and then snip off a little bit, like an inch, unravel it to its fine threads. It will do fantastic work to catch a spark, to say nothing of a lighter, of course. And if you've prepared your fire properly, you'll be good. Um, Water purification. I've gone back and forth on this several times. I have, you know, the $500, $400 Katadyne Expedition pump. I have the Sawyer, I have some Life Straws, I have some tablets. The main thing here, because that might be one area where I may not take, you know, the Expedition uh, size filter. One, because there's more stuff to go wrong with it. And it's heavier. And I've already accepted weight in other areas. I tend to just leave that you know, at home base, which would be the truck, most likely. I do like uh, the Katadyne tablets and the Lifestraw, honestly. But the Sawyer, probably at this point, is is taking the cake. The battery-powered UV everything killer light is sweet. Of course, it's battery-dependent. Um, so I will usually take the UV light and two redundancies, say life straw and some tablets. Part of the idea being, oh, see, I came back to it. So part of the idea of the, the idea of these packs being a piece of each of them can be broken off to just take the bare essentials, like the possibles bag plus a tiny bit more, and just bolt, just run until you collapse. Do you have time to organize that thing? Well, that's part of your duty as a good soldier warrior. Okay. Optics. And some more, you know, specialty discussion regarding guns because they're such a big piece of the conversation. Uh, As mentioned earlier, 
my suggestion is gaining a familiarity with as many different systems and styles as you possibly can. Who knows what will fall in your lap? The M, the Beretta 92, is a very different pistol than the 1911. Do they both suck? Potentially. But that's not the point. They're both, you know, very usable, good guns, actually. It's not that difficult, right, to, to quickly edu- get some education on these. Similarly with rifles, AK and AR, uh, to me, are the sort of essential main uh, battle guns that you should be familiar with. How deep you go on this is all... You can go pretty deep. So at this cursory uh, level of what I favor, you know, I favor the AR. I favor the variable power optics. I do not own but one red dot anymore. And that's, you know, um, riding side saddle to, to one of those optics. Uh, what else? I favor the best quality ammo that I can afford. If I could just drop like $100,000 or a half a million dollars on Lake City 77 grain, I would do so. As it is, I'm pretty happy with... I mean, look at those poor bastards in New Zealand right now, right? So, I favor the AR. Um, I don't have... I guess maybe I have adhered to Musashi's, you know, avoiding preference, but to to the extent that I I like all kinds of guns, you know, would I be happy with a foul and know how to use it, and maintain it? Yep. A G3? Yep. An M1A? Yep. I is it? But it is. Is it my ideal? Probably not. Um, so I do have this preference, and it seems to be due to what I perceive to be, in many ways, it's, it's the best compromise in terms of parts availability, in terms of availability of ammo, um, modularity and options. Of course, it's unbeatable, inherently accurate. Um, Spending enough time with Mike Pannone, for example, throwing these things in the dirt and then, you know, running them till they're on fire. And you guys have seen these videos. Um, it's a pretty phenomenal, a pretty phenomenal weapon. So I'm happy with it. And my preferences, you know, there's a video on Instagram about what I prefer. Have I spent, I've spent enough time I've owned and trained with and used uh, EOTEX, Trigicons, Aimpoints. So the red dot, I'm familiar with it. It's just, it's just not my favorite. Um, I'm also, my skill set, you know, moves me away and out and towards avoidance. My position in reality does so as well. So that's kind of speaks towards um, the preference for more glass, more distance, always more distance between me and the bad guy. 
that said, I do really prefer very accurate guns. Um, so, while I love the foul, you know, you know, and the M1A for that matter. Uh, anyway, what else can I say specifically about gear? I would add, I think, that in terms of this always upgrade your weaponry, this applies on the battlefield, of course, probably first and foremost, as well as it applies to normal, everyday American life as we know it right now. New, better stuff comes along. I tend to have no problem letting go of of the old if I can get my hands on the newer, better, actually better, actually hotter and faster, etc. So a last note to try and um, this, this issue of preference. You know, if you do a lot of training on a specific platform or with even a specific rifle, right, you do have a preference for it. And I don't think that Musashi's saying that that's terrible. Did he really have uh, 50 swords? Was he just ditching swords? And I don't think so. I don't think that swords were even that common. But I think that part of that statement really has to do with his bigger approach to the idea of war, fighting the warrior's way, what have you. I seem to recall the the legends or the myths were that Musashi was favored two swords, a long sword and a short sword. Potentially the short sword, he could actually throw it. That might have been sort of the key to his big, big success, but that was a theory, unproven. But I seem to recall him evidencing mastery of quite a few other weapons entirely. Spear, uh, fuck, throwing stars. I don't know exactly what all would have been available to him. Staff, right? That would be available. Um, but that's another angle that I try to remind myself in doing the what-if game. If you know, I'm sure you guys know the what-if game. It's not always called that in Tactical World, but it's a way to raise awareness and in yourself in ter- uh, with respect to threats, environments, your duties. The better imagination you have um, and the more awareness you already have, the more interesting I would bet this game is. For, for dullards and simpletons and such, it's hell, it's probably actually more fun for them because they're just going to laugh about it, right? But such is the burden that we carry. But this is a very effective tool playing out in your mind's eye scenarios um, has been shown I think to give you an advantage and um, I believe it was LaFond that said he would really 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 um, go into into this process uh, such that uh, you know sensations and emotions became involved and he had a very developed relationship with 
with it. Um, I'd have to look up again his his specific recommendations, but I recall this being a major piece of of his approach. And I bring it up now, I believe, to say there are many. We live at a. I mean, we may live in a time where um, it's it's put it this way. It's literally possible that in a year's time we live in you know a, a cratered landscape and people are fighting it out with swords and clubs you know in the ruins of cities it's also possible that some hyper technology kept on the back burner for a long time emerges to nullify or severely diminish power of firearms a little bit more realistic you don't know necessarily if you are going to be deploying your long gun at six months from now in a fight for your life or if things limp along for two years and you've had to give up the carrying of a pistol because you have a family and they need you to provide for them and that's more important than anything else and so now you're walking around practicing with two you know 18 inch maple or oak sticks and you whack a dude and then you turn on the speed and just leave strange times I'm going to take a break. My sense is that I'm going to extend this out, as as mentioned earlier, and um, make it available for all, mainly because I get the feeling that some people just want to know, you know, just want to hear some discussion on, on this specific topic. So I'll give it to them. And for those who want to go deeper, subscribers, etc., we will go deeper. There are a few things that I do not want to say that are definitely reserved for you guys. A couple of uh, potential new collaborations, other reports that don't need to wait, you know, until a next episode necessarily. So if you've made it this long, most likely... If you wish to, non-subscribers, you can make it even longer, and I will return. The website, of course, is goldengoatguild.net. Golden Goat Guild is the handle on Instagram. The website, you can get signed copies of King of Dogs, which is, the reviews are in, and it's evidently the best book of the past decade. Still waiting for certain New York hipsters or um, Austin hipsters as well uh, to wake up to this fact, among others. But the book is available on the website and on Amazon if you don't need the signature. Very fine shirts, uh, consulting and writing and other services are available as well. Please check out Instagram, follow. That would be very helpful. 
And uh, that's enough of the of the marketing stuff. I will be I will return shortly. Thanks for listening. podcast episode 12 I wanted to grab up a few of these threads from the last hour and uh, presumably uh, discussions of gear will be ongoing um, there's you know did I, I did not go through everything in even one pack so it's kind of a quick and dirty <clears throat> rundown. However, um, for your potential edification, I know there are dudes out there with vastly more experience than I have. Um, but I do my best. So, I wanted to hit once again the axe thing and add that I am a fan of the the e tool. I like the Glock one um available you know everywhere Amazon what have you I don't know they used to be like forty bucks. I like to keep a, a few of those around as with a few of the Baco folders um, you know for certain um, types of operations I would couple um, like pruners I like a, a good set of pruners plastic to keep the weight down on a similar type of mission a lot of people don't know about these but they they are to me they're essential um, they go in whatever pack I take all you know still all in the woods um, they it's a ghillie hood or a viper hood there are high-end versions as with every recommendation I make or you know the rule of thumb that I use, let's say that way. I don't want to really be making recommendations and, and all this sort of stuff, but I'm just sharing with you my approach. Uh, stupid as this phrase is, you know, buy once, cry once. Whoever thought of that had pissed away a lot of money and had a lot of money to finally figure it out because... There's not, there's really no getting around um, that piece of logic. Occasionally, you know, good stuff comes up and it's really affordable, but it's just not, 
it's just not the standard for sure. So that applies to optics and you know for sure, weapons for sure. There are a few places where you can like with the maybe thermal underwear. You know, I've done no testing to say that the um, the higher end merino stuff really outperforms uh, something else that you might be fond of. I think I arrived at the merino actually uh, in an effort to an ongoing effort to eliminate you know plastics and xenoestrogens from uh, from my life. <clears throat> of course, being a crunchy hippie basically from Portland, that was natural. So maybe I I, I never probably did go through like a, a super plasticky phase, but. Emphasizing the axe, once again, uh, to me in the woods, this is essential. I do not really tend towards or even own any hatchets. Uh, those mid-length axes will really solve a lot of problems. You definitely could split heads with it if you had to. Um, and likewise, you know, the tomahawk... A good one is even lighter weight, you know, probably better for splitting heads, not quite as good maybe as chopping down uh, small trees, but, or doing other uh, sorts of camp craft stuff. That length will, usually you can find an easy place to tuck it in, you know, among your straps, strap it in somewhere. Important. Uh, back to the ghillie hood. These are, um, yes, I do own a full ghillie suit, which I don't even know where it is. I would have, I would, can't imagine a reason to break it out. I'm probably just keeping it for my son to play with. The ghillie hood provides you with just about everything that a full ghillie suit would, in terms of breaking up the outline of the human head and shoulders which is the main giveaway to both humans and other types of um, creatures out there that you may want to use uh, stealth when around ghillie hood again I just stuff it in uh, like a side pouch and then break it out, you put it on over your jacket or your shirt, whatever whatever you're wearing. If you've got it rigged up right, you know, my suggestion is to go pretty, uh, pretty conservative with, with your, your fringe material. I do just use the, you know, burlap strands that are common to at least the old style of, of uh, ghillie suit. I'm kind of out of the <clears throat> loop on what might or might not be modern health. Ghillie hoods might be um, uncool at this point, but they're cool to me, and I highly recommend them. Pardon me. I had mentioned the Leatherman always goes... I like one in each. That's one of those things that I don't necessarily want to have to hunt 
and dig for and hope that I grabbed the right possibles bag. You can find, if you don't want to spend, you know, the money to buy four or five of them, you can usually find them for like half price on eBay. If you're willing to accept um, that it has some sort of corporate stamp on it, you know, John Deere, what have you. Um, I guess they hand these out to employees who turn around and then hawk them on eBay. And it seems like a pretty solid deal all around. But um, the deal with the Leatherman, um, you know, it is this last ditch, do all, super useful, incredible, really, tool. Uh, proudly made in Portland, Oregon. But um, I, the one thing that I will relay to you about the Leatherman is they have very, the new ones, uh, I think I have like Waves, maybe a Charge, I have a Free. Mm, I think that's all the models that I have, but they all have a similar blade and um, they're all very, very sharp from the factory. Stainless. I never use it for anything. I don't test them. I mean, you can test it on some paper. As If it's new, it's like a razor. So that's the one blade that I never, ever, ever, ever use in case I, for some reason, would need to quickly sterilize it either with flame or boiling water and dig into somebody's living flesh in order to to help them out so yeah could you take a life with it at that point sure if it's the only blade you have but if you've used it up on carving you know tent or tarp stakes and then you need it, you will regret it. You will regret it. I feel a sneeze coming on. So pardon me if this, uh, this goes down. Okay, so tarps. For everything um, other than like deep winter or if I'm with my family, I'm going to favor a tarp. In the planned and proposed addendum for Warhorse Podcast subscribers, I am going to reveal to you a few little secrets about the tarps that I own. Um, I acquired them some years ago. They were never advertised. They're no longer available. I'm only aware of one company in the world where you could get something similar, but um, the specs are not the same and I have not tested them. As well, um, there is some potential for, for uh, producing some more of these. Probably, I guess, you know, in a collaboration of one sort or another. But for this discussion, without going into the specifics of what I own, although I own uh, quite a few, you know, um, 
sill nylon, lightweight. I would suggest something in the 9x9 neighborhood. There's something like 70 different configurations that can be constructed with these rectangular squarish tarps. Uh, having gone through in exercises and in training quite a few of them and studied the rest in I forget which book and then having tested them for again quite a few years uh, myself and with others it'd be my opinion that if you know four shapes four specific shapes you can get through just about anything real brief you know, you've got your classic kind of hooch, just a uh, single peak, low to the ground. You've got one called the bombshell. Essentially, you're using a tree. You're getting up under the tree. You use one of the corners to tie up to the tree and stake down the rest. One called the wheelin', which is sort of hard to describe. Again, you're using one peak forward over um, sort of a pitch line so you have some rain protection and you're staking out the back and it kind of uh, it works out to be sort of sort of a dome shape actually but really those three um, those are the three I always favor so moving on because there's an incredible amount of stuff to to cram in um, last little bits on gear to tie these two hours together along the lines of you know what do you favor what don't have preferences I would suggest that you know extremity taking this to extremes may very well teach you a bunch of stuff. If you get some gear at Walmart, you know, or you try and keep it under say a hundred dollars for a full kit, you may very very well learn some stuff. You may very well also hurt yourself or die, and that would just be in testing. I mean, say nothing of. Um, adding some real pressure. So, there's that. There's redundancy, which we've gone over at length. The possibles bag, maybe, it's not an innovation, it's a suggestion. Um, and if you just have one, which may very well, you know, that's kind of how I'm hoping to move towards like one urban and one woods so it's just okay it's in that bag or it's in that bag yeah the only other tips that really keep crossing my mind for some reason um you know this this dale cooper adage Give yourself a treat every day. Um, 
the woods can be pretty miserable. Um, if you get wet or if it's just raining and you can't move too much because then you will become definitely miserable or if it's just bitter cold. And of course, if it's just oppressively hot, you know, and you're tired and you maybe you missed some piece of your preparation, you you now have some pain to deal with. Um, something along the lines of a treat. You know, yeah, we're in a, austere conditions, potentially, as would regard this ongoing discussion in the war horse, but also just in training, you know. Also, five years from now, you might just be taking your kid camping. So... I would offer up this final suggestion that um, packets of gravy, those little, you know, paper packets, you can find organic versions, and they're good, will, you know, get some, use your imagination, creativity, tell me what you think. Those things, um, even if you just drink the gravy, or if you have butter, you know, or some cream, that is a solid pick-me-up. Um, and along these same lines, if you have any type of a base camp, if you're operating out of a vehicle, for example, it's perfect, and you have coffee, maybe. I always go, by the way, uh, with instant coffee. I always take coffee, but those little packets, uh, I will I will recommend a brand. And... Uh, I will do a pretend sponsor, non-sponsor, but because um, the brand is not coming to mind. I always use that, and uh, it's good. It's fine. Is it Stumptown? No. But is it damn fine coffee? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's damn fine coffee. So condensed milk, sweetened condensed milk, comes in these little tiny cans. You can also... There, there are organic options. I recommend those. This stuff is basically like taffy. Um, it's loaded with calories. Um, maybe not so many, you know, super great nutrients. Um, throw that in your coffee in the morning. Throw that in your tea in the afternoon. Um, just eat it out of the can if you want. But either way, amongst your own, I'm sure everyone has their treats. I like the gingins, like peanut butter cups. I like uh, those stinger waffles. These are all, I guess not all, but most of the, in fact, all of those in some form are in the warhouse, warhouse, the warhouse, um, the warhorse right now with me pretty nice evening as I look over this vast starry valley uh, of a city from its foothills. This is probably my, pa my favorite environment to record these in. It's very quiet, very peaceful. I know I'm not alone. Coyotes,
snakes and spiders of all sort, deer huddled out there in the desolate mountains. Poor, that's a tough life, man, for those deer. Okay, 15 or whatever minutes in we are, we're going to set aside gear. And I am going to, many have asked, uh, seriously, many have asked, and I'm now delivering. I'm not going to deliver, you know, a whole podcast about it at this point. I don't really think it's necessary. These are just my opinions. Um, But the question is, you know, what do I think we're in for. And so I believe I take this to mean my best guess. Nobody knows what we're in for, including the cryptocracy. Even Hoffman points out that it's a big wager now. We have, um, in terms of, you know, the sleeper must awaken there are many, many, many more people involved in uh, some type of active rebellion, no matter what level that is, than there were, in, in my estimation, this is not, you know, Pew research or anything, but there's many more now than there were. Uh, 15, 20 years ago, even like five years ago. So it has always been described, I think somewhat accurately, as a race between the next evolution of the microchip and humanity, let's say the hearts, you know, the individual hearts aggregating in some sense, perhaps in the Huberman lab sense you know, joining around a narrative and there's so much just fucking bullshit out there regarding all of this stuff. And that's the closest in, there you go. I have yet to see any, to see anybody else. Somebody I'm sure has, but there you go. There's your physical there's your metaphysical, there's your practicality, and there's your moral. So, as Mamet would say, just fill in the details at this point. But I'm not in charge, and neither are you. So, but Hoffman says, you know, there's this wager, this race, and, um, He also says that, I think it's on the back of the book. Yeah, right? Nearly universal occult initiation. We are all, almost all of us, already initiated into some form of cult surrounding human sacrifice that we're not even aware of, most of us. And... um, Becoming aware of it is not just as simple as reading 
the QAnon dispatches and then hoping to sort out the truth from the lies. That all, you know, as mentioned, screams uh, Cass Sunstein and his his narrative control, cognitive warfare task force. So we don't know how this is going to play out like we never know. Fate, the rise of a hero, the rise of a villain, human nature, so on and so forth. These great forces, as perhaps Quintus Curtis would uh, direct us to, are in play. And no matter what anybody says, whether even if it's Michael Hoffman or, you know, your latest uh, favorite on, on social media, I'm really working to not name names and just not give a shit because it's completely irrelevant. But um, we don't know, right? So if you're asking me, as as stated earlier, you know, aforementioned in the in somewhere in this whole project is my real. If I have an expertise, I'm pretty good at a lot of things. Uh, but it's as a novelist. So if you're asking me, the things that I feel pretty confident about are that we are in for. We are not in for, despite, you know, oh, don't black pill. Oh, well, how about I'm going to black pill anyway, or if that's what you want to call it, you know, you giant pussy. Um, I'm just calling it like I see it. I do not think that we are in for, you know, a dip kind of in our standard of living or our relative freedoms. And then, you know, some special forces folks showing up or... Um, some key political figures showing up or maybe a new form of um, currency showing up to return us to some type of continued, you know, what we take to be the American standard of living in the Western world, at least. No. This is not to say that I believe in peak oil, you know, the, the exact narrative. I do not know. I've never been to the bottom of an oil field. I do not know if it's um, abiotic, you know, just it seems like it could be possible, you know, that it's just these hydrocarbons that are sort of being shunted aside um, into like underground rivers uh, adjacent to magma and lava flow. I don't know. Seems possible. Seems possible as well that it's um, a rather finite resource. If the peak oil narrative um, is true, it goes that we're never going to really run out of oil. It just won't be available um, for the masses 
you know, at the discount price that the petrodollar delivered it to us. For, uh, you know, all these years. It does seem evident to me, kind of self-evident, right, that there are limited resources. My understanding is, is that, you know, like the salmon run up the coastal rivers in their annual spawn, delivering, you know, like 40 pounds sometimes of flesh, nutrients, um, carbon, minerals of all sorts dragged up and transferred out of the ocean. These go into the trees, etc., build out the ecosystems. So the resources move around on Earth. Yet I don't see a lot of addition and um, Scientism appears to have delivered us, a, you know, a similar type of race, if you will, referring here to the just the technology versus human heart. Um, perhaps more related than than they first seemed, as it flashed across my mind's eye. Um, but the faith. Right in in scientism's narratives, don't worry, uh, we'll make soy. Don't worry, we'll mine asteroids. Don't worry. You know um, the soy the soy uh, like uh, what is that stuff? Algae is very protein. You know it'll feed the masses. It won't feed the elite because they will definitely be eating Ted Turner's bison. But it'll feed you and me and you can, you know, you can continue to take in oxygen. The financial side of it, as far as I understand it, is yeah, well let's say it appears to me that these factors of resources and you know the currency with which we use to um, unitize commodities what have you they all seem to be completely and totally out of hand it isn't as if We just simply have a financial problem, which would probably be better than, you know, just simply having a, a huge resource problem. There are cyclical aspects. Um, fourth turning, Kali Yuga, all these sorts of narratives. Um, not so sure. Not, um, I think that's a Hindu thing. Not a scholar. 
And uh, as I said, keep referring to carrier waves. These really do exist. So, and we don't know much about them. So there may very well be um, an element of that. And maybe that, you know, if we, if we were into scientism, we could reduce fate down into carrier waves. But I, I, I later, you know, in this discussion, I hope to be able to touch on a few things more philosophical, um, but sticking to our explanation, uh, just, you know, kind of opening up the first introductory paragraphs and chapters here. Um, I do not think that we're in for, again, some sort of political, merely political dip. That's not what this is. And there's a dangerous, dangerous, seemingly to me, in my opinion, trend out there. And I, in, real, in realistic terms, this is fear. This is grasping onto something that seems more manageable than something like the non-existence of the resources that make your lifestyle possible. I am very familiar with all of the of the fake conservative counters like abiotic abiotic fuel and I and I'm open-minded about them. Um, the financial thing to me has always seemed that sure if you could get the right players to agree on a jubilee um, on some rejiggering most likely this wouldn't, you know, result in a bunch of favorable outcomes for you and me and every man, but perhaps, you know, it would let things limp along for a while longer. The system, our commercial system, industrial society based on this and in conjunction with the financial mechanism does require this constant growth expansion that's not necessary there are systems in christian history particularly early medieval european christendom that you can look to that were sustainable did not employ usury and for all you know by all reports resulted in much greater quote freedom than anything we throw around now. I think that freedom, in terms of this fear-based thing, quote freedom, now actually refers to your, you know, the kind of desperate clawing that arises out of, oh, sh you know, like, oh, really? Oh, fuck. I might not be able to live the life that I want. And that's not... Jim Bridger. That's not Edward Teach. It's not Cormac McCarthy. The list goes on. That is somebody raised outside of I'm not going to say all, but almost all um, 
brushes with real risk and um, real stakes, you know, real loss. And uh, it's really the early cries around the fear of losing the lifestyle to which they've become accustomed. Never asking, apparently, or just briefly enough to piss on it and then run away with some name-calling. Is this really the best life? I've, yeah, I went in early, early episodes, we went through the classic, you know, roll off the couch, microwave something, roll into your car, microwave something, back in the car, you know, out of the office, what have you get something microwave, stuff it in your fat face, roll back to the office to sit in the AC for a while, on and on and on and on. And even if, you know, you live a much better, richer life than that, we don't have a context. So the freedom would arise, once again, from John Taylor Gatto's 10 million, 10,000, different value systems being, pardon me, allowed to flourish. If we attempted, if secession were attempted at this point, again, I'm not some political wonk. I don't, I don't know. But it does seem to me that global powers would, um, would not favor this make this a big fucking problem even though it might be a very you know it might be all things considered the best the best of um, a series of imperfect options to take I should make a note because there's another type of description of these systems of value that uh, really deserves uh, a solid treatment. I share it with you guys. In fact, I I might be able to get a guest on for that who would together. I think we it might be a good combo. Um, I think I'll I'll trust my memory and and skip the note. Anyway, so I think once again that we are likely in for. Uh, a stepwise trajectory, you know, downward, but in steps. And I think that's kind of the use of the COVID narrative. That's the purpose behind it. it is, and you can see it already, you know. Uh, what have you, gas prices, labor markets. For To say nothing, uh, you know, as always, even these discussions, even me, for Christ's sake, you know. Uh, what about the human misery index and death? I'm referring in the back of my mind to this, you know, discussion with uh, Jordan Peterson and and these other characters. That sh- if I go into it, it w- it will derail everything. But crisis of meaning, uh, ivory tower discussion, a lot of circle jerkery, you know, in my opinion. But back to some real shit 
the COVID narrative seems to be a tool that's allowing for some of these these steps downward. Um, I think that my sense is that, yeah, there are like two factions in America that want to murder each other. There's no question about it. Um, and you know that's the story of power uh, going back a long, long ways. Um, many people want to play political games. If I were, you know, a kind of a cursory examination, a handful of halfway decent candidates in the entire system, you could devote your life to localism and taking over, uh, which would probably be a good thing either way. You know, taking office local to you. But we're in a top-down situation, and we've seen for years now that we're also in a situation where you get into a place of power and even if you are a public figure if necessary they will just wipe you they'll just straight out wipe snatch the life right out of you tell a big fucking lie nobody will believe it and nobody will care so In my estimation, all of these suggestions of CW2, 4GW, um, don't quite hit the target because, uh, you know, they'll, they'll probably be temporarily true, let's say. If you read King of Dogs... At some point in that stepwise down progression, maybe, you know, during a secession. Um, outside entities, global entities, and their, their loyals, their adherents, their operatives within this country and probably many others will begin to loot and take control over resources. That's kind of the, you know, again, I've sort of moved away from the idea of an exegesis favoring. While I'm, I'm all in on the devil doggery, I'm not quite, uh, you know, to that point where I can just give away every secret. I still feel like the power is is in the reader discovering it for him or herself. And so it'd almost be like shooting myself in the, in the mouth or the foot. But that aside, generally speaking, in the near future, there's a couple of types of operations that I think are going to be become prevalent. Uh, deep fakes covered up by really bad deep fakes. We've seen a bunch of these really bad deep fakes and I think we're gonna to start to see really, really good deep fakes. Um, efforts that I've read about in order to put forward some type of tokenizing system to authenticate digital photography only leads to further consolidation of the, um, the social credit uh, 
you know, bar, bar, uh, barcode tattoo or whatever it's going to be, your phone, you know, some sort of omni-pass. Tokenization would lead directly to that. So that's how, you know, it seems to me in examining a lot of stories over a long period of time, true stories, um, fiction, which is, you know, some people say that's how we tell the truth. you see that you know there's confluence a quickening so uh, another type of operation that I think we're gonna see is I don't know you know I'm using the term deep narrative where you're gonna see long embedded assets characters who've been embedded for who knows how long arising to some type of prominence to lead ultimately fruitless and probably pretty temporary movements. And for our purposes tonight, I think that's uh, that's as far as I'll go in terms of details. Um, you may not, you know, just think like, okay, so deep narratives involving long embedded assets. I, they were embedding Um, nightly news anchors in the 60s. I don't think that they're... Yeah, they're still using news anchors. I mean, shit. Um, Anderson Cooper? I mean, try, in fact, try to find me one who's not. I mean, Tucker seems like a pretty normal guy, but um, other than that, you know, in one way or another, they're compromised almost down to a man. I think that what we're going to find is embedded assets placed in different sorts of places. Social media is an obvious one. Ex-military is another obvious one. Okay, so another type of op that I would keep my eyes peeled for. Uh, more, more, you know, this is maybe a more like a technique that I think is going to, it's coming into play already. And you can see it in some of the ways that the COVID mythology, which is a false mythology, of course, is being, quote, written. And this is, uh, harkens back to the ranching days. And um, again, you know, for repetition, the way you work livestock in a, quote, humane fashion, and this does work. It works much better, in fact, than bull whips, cattle prods, aggression in general. You use the threat, and you call this pressure. You apply pressure you know, and then you release it when the animal, generally cattle, sheep, what have you, do what you want. An example of this would be you are in a valley, um, you have a herd that is standing around, you want to move them west. 
So you approach from the east and you start closing distance. And if they are already canalized such that they really can only go east, then they're going to go east. You might have a crazy one. And I have dealt with these where, nope, they're, they're not going the way you want them to go. They're going either toward you or past you or something. Just like, just like in that operation, okay, well, if I can get most of them to move west where I want them to go, I can just pressure them, get them moving, leave them, go back, round up that other one, and deal with them. Usually, you know, it takes, and you imagine this just being almost step-for-step step transferable to humans. If you have somebody who's pretty defiant, you see this in many, many cop videos, and then the taser comes out, or a couple of dudes just decide to beat the living shit out of him, you you cut to the next scene, and, you know, he he's very grateful for the cigarette that they've offered him, and, you know, very, very apologetic. He, so much is going on bad with my life. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to take it out on you, you know. To find a real hard ass is pretty rare these days. So this uh, this pressure and release moving us into moving us towards, I think, a generalized place of of being disempowered and. Um, eventually, you know, probably kind of my, my get now, I don't want to say this because this is the sort of shit that people jump on, but eventually I sort of foresee a time where we're, if you survive, you're going to kind of be left, left to do your own thing. The trick is going to be not falling for any one of a manifold, manifold, multifarious, with with great variety, tempting uh, avenues to take that are going to be either temporary or um, just immediately marked by by you being crushed. It doesn't sound much like, you know, 1776, does it? But we're not living in 1776, and we are not like the men from 1776. And the men from 1776 may not have been much like the men from uh, 1576. Who knows? But cognitive warfare utilizing twilight language, as Hoffman describes, which this is a book that we're going to go into hard, psychological operations um, of all sorts, media operations, 
financial operations, local and, you know, targeted. It's not like the same operation is even now being run in Portland as in Detroit. There's some similarities there, but you have, uh, if from the cryptocracy's point of view, or even if it, you know, this is all just financial to you. So even from the, the human cattle and commodity standpoint, you have a much different set of uh, assets and liabilities in Detroit than you do in Portland. So regional, regionally targeted psyops and financial operations of the sort uh, again, you know, this, the, the conservatives have always been right in terms of this aspect of, you know, you giving up your freedom in exchange for some type of security. So many, you know, uh, the Mises Institute is fantastic in terms of, you know, large, huge portions of what they've put out is totally accurate. So there you go. Um, I will add, you know, like sprinkle over the top these two factions that want to cut each other's throats. Will that happen? It seems absolutely feasible that that will play out to some extent. Do you want to be involved in that? Maybe you do. But I do not, and I do not give a shit about your opinion regarding my desire to, to be involved in that or not involved in that. Peer pressure is um, not really effective on me. And um, my need for external validation was minimized by a relatively trauma-free childhood and parents who loved the absolute shit out of me and who were, you know, had their parents had treated them that way. And both of them, you know, were highly intelligent and devoted to that marriage. And the benefit of that is, is not that I'm not willing to take up some mantle. Perhaps I will. The benefit is that my eyes are wide open as to the possibilities, uh, you know, this feature of crisis where opportunity blossoms and springs forth. Even as the suffering rolls out and uh, the bodies get stacked up. So to say that I want to adopt a position of mobility and reconnaissance and take a position of deep reticence and suspicion towards anything and everything in with the goals ultimately to preserve the lives of my loved ones and myself 
would be accurate. And again, to say that peer pressure of the sort like, well, then you won't be among those who decide the future. This is, um, this is the language of ridicule. This is the language of manipulation. It's also, if not actively manipulative, it evidences an underlying fear. The calling out for numbers to join me and my buddies to do this thing. Why do I want to join you if if you need more, you know, why do I want to do that? And I know that the counter to this is like, oh, the individualized American or what, what have you. That itself is some shit that was shoved down your throat that you loved. You gobbled it up. Read James LaFont. Read a little bit more deeply into the origins of this fucking nation. And... Go study some of the, um, the ancestral records and find out, you know, what relatives were owned by who. And then begin to question more deeply the actual angles of, um, again, cognitive warfare. This, it's not as if cognitive warfare just kind of wound up being the final frontier of control. It was always the primary in terms of human-to-human control. If you were, you know, running Egyptian slaves, you know, do you have, like, um, tanks? Do you have just infinite food to feed people? Like, no, you would be much, much more efficient to ingrain in your subjects a mindset of slavery and then just allow that to sort of do almost all your work. Occasionally, yes, you have this one bitchy cow who wants to be defiant and you just need to go and do a show of force and remind everybody what, you know, who's really in charge. And as time rolls forward, Um, It does seem to me that, you know, there's a kernel, uh, like a buried diamond within a turd of truth to the origins of this country that there was like an opportunity, you know, for 10,000 systems of value to proliferate. But they did not. (laughs) That didn't happen. Did some men, some great men, maybe even some that were in our mythology, maybe um, T. Jefferson, um, you know, fuck, I do not know. I don't think it was Ben Franklin, I'll tell you that much. Um, But eventually, how long would it take without the internet and with a sparsely populated United, you know, uh, Northern, Northern America, this continent. How long would it take to, um, 
for people to sort of swap narratives from, well, you know, I was a slave, but I'm not going to, I'll never be a slave in this lifetime, to a next generation being, you know, our morals and ethics are that we do not bow down. To a couple generations further, just eating hot dogs once a year and repeating some platitudes, right? So that is an example of a longer-term, multi-angled sort of flip-flop. You know, you started with with a kind of depressive outlook, then we kind of keyed the anger, and this propelled you to flip-flop over again, three of them down the line. Nobody wants to talk about that their ancestors were slaves too. Of course, look at the look at the media um, story now, where you were actually a slave owner, and you you didn't do anything to build the country at all. Now this may be very upsetting for you, and I you know it's certainly retarded, but that doesn't even immediately mean that the first counter that's offered to you, Charlie Kirk, Groypers, uh, fucking Ben Shapiro, and you can push this, it seems like every day, a little bit farther into the suspicion, I mean, into the alternative, into the alternative media, I mean. So, that goes back to our, you know, deep narratives and long embedded assets arising to prominence. Commentary. Um, you know, I've done my piece on the warrior's way. I'm not going to beat everybody over the head with it. But um, if I were to place the burden on you, you know, listener, critic, what have you, to argue a counterpoint that says a people is capable of taking responsibility for itself even if that's just choosing the right group of very rebellious, you know, iconoclastic, um, fringe representatives to lead them forward into a political battle. Do you really even trust people to do that if they have a, an extremely uh, limited Uh, interiority and by this subcategories you know morality um, introspection contemplation the ability to to override Dunning-Kruger and to place pride and and also you know financial gain aside I personally um, think that we're in this situation. It's, let's say it's gotten this bad because a certain type of person, uh, like a psychopath, so excuse me, a sociopath, which 
I think the numbers are like 2% of the population. 2%. That's a shitload of people. That's more than enough to fill out Rothkop's 5,000 person superclass and probably fill out uh, a sizable army of bureaucrats, cops, soldiers, duped supporters of, of every social standing. It's unfortunate, but it's true that church leaders are subject to all this stuff. There have been multiple examples in the past two years of the Orthodox Church leadership failing in one regard or another. And uh, it's pretty evident that there are efforts, you know, exterior efforts at creating division within the Orthodox Church. And this is long, long, you know, familiarize yourself with the history of of uh, Protestantism and Catholicism and all of its many sects are just the first that start to spring off. And you'll find that there's, once again, you know, conspiracy is the actual motive force of history. And uh, these efforts are being made in the Orthodox Church right now, which is to say that the church itself is not corrupt. The church cannot be corrupt. And but its, it's leaders sure as hell can. I mean, this is straight out of the Bible. Um, and many saints, again, you know, within the church, I'm not talking about dudes like Seraphim Rose who probably should be a saint but aren't quite a saint. I'm talking about saints, which, you know, you're supposed to give a little bit extra credence to. Um, but actually, I think Seraphim Rose, you know, who I do admire and and like quite a, quite a bit, um, made the case that, you know, there's going to be false church leaders left, right, and center. So the warrior's way is a psychic tool, you know, that if understood, uh, will ride you out through psyops of any type because you are you're operating on a whole different system of value and on a stepwise long-term collapse that ultimately you know the purpose is not really just to uh for the leftoids to crush their enemy and then what though you you know you know what'll happen then let's say the leftoids crush the right then another form of internal division would be uh, sliced off and, um, you know, a bunch of from the just, you know, this has played out through history as well. They would be crushed in turn. And over time, you're going to have a much different thing. This is not uh, the final battle. The final battle is not between conservatism and um, liberalism. The final battle, despite um, the infantile cries of uh, of many who will not be picked out by name or uh, creed or, or code this evening, despite these cries, um, the terms were set out long, long ago. You know, good versus evil. 
And in a situation where you don't always know who's good, who's evil, uh, or you know, even what the state of your nation or state or city may be in the near or intermediate terms, having something that you, as a man, can take into your warhorse truck, out to the woods, down to the river, off to the coffee shop, wherever you go to do serious fucking contemplation, um, it's a survival tool of, uh, it's an exquisite, the, the penultimate survival tool. So if anybody tells you that this is some, you know, uh, you know, we, we talked about this in episode one. There are many of these John Bly, uh, Dan Millman sort of efforts to co-opt and then many, um, you know, little cottage in, uh, industry leech type or parasitical sort of spring-offs from even them. And, you know, the rainbow warrior. It, it's, it's almost to be forgiven. You know, the uneducated turd who, who says, oh, yeah, rainbow uh, fucking spirit warriors or whatever. You know, I, I totally fucking, dude, I'm from Portland. I've seen this shit since the 70s and I was only five years old. And it took me a while to reconcile all of these disparate facts that a soldier is not a warrior. Can a soldier be a warrior? Yes. You know, all of these categorical uh, Aristotelian, uh, what, uh, you know, the classic one. Um, it's not going to come to mind, but You know, all um, all Athenians are Greeks, but not all Greeks are Athenians. Sweet mother of God, man. How, how difficult is this? I don't think it has to do with difficulty. I think that, once again, it has to do with fear. And I think it has to do within the final analysis, in the final analysis, excuse me, within the final analysis. Yeah, that would have worked. Um, it may be that around age seven to say 12, your status epigenetically and in the way that spirit and matter are one and those who espouse binary divisions here are either malicious, retarded, or just ignorant. That is a very special time in a boy's life. And I think that's the time when he decides if he is going to be a fighter, a survivor, or he is going to be some form of something else, you know? It takes all types for sure, but that doesn't mean that all types survive. If I had an assistant, I would have her pull those last few sentences. Yeah, it would be a her. Why not? And uh, slap them up on an Instagram post. So if one of you kind, kind listeners who made it this far in this monster-free episode of the War Horse Podcast uh, cares to remind me, that's one of those things that kind of, 
I, uh, maybe I'll remember to do it. I don't yet have a secretary. So that's that on that. Um, let's check our time. Yeah, one eleven. I, I, I sensed it. I'm going to take another break to um, refresh myself, come back strong for the fourth and final hour where my, excuse me, is it futile or is it We're going to hit the criminal of purpose exercise uh, locally, if not regionally famous, the criminal, the Warhorse podcast criminal of purpose exercise is a standard. Um, checking my notes here. Forgive me. Okay, so yeah, and we're going to move on to a couple of clarifications, which I hope will be helpful for the best listeners among you. And um, yeah, it looks like moving back into, you know, more of our, our main grounds. Although the I should say that um, the intentions for the next, you know, say 10 to 15 episodes are going to be um, very concrete. No, I cannot ever get out of deep water. Do you really want me to? I didn't think so. But, um, you know, I'm going to spin against the way I drive and um, we're going to be, we're going to be shaking things up. But to, uh, to blend the lines, you know, to to seamlessly uh, merge. We're going to touch on a little bit more of the esoteric. So, thank you for listening so far. If you're going to cut out now, make sure you go to goldenguild.net and buy up yourself uh, a whole bunch of t-shirts for Christmas. They're very high quality. The designs are outstanding. It helps me. It will help you. And uh, there are also, as mentioned, you know, some other, there's some other items up there that you can investigate. Um, Golden Goat Guild is the handle on Instagram. And if you would be so kind as to consider subscribing to the podcast, so that I can uh, continue to forge forward in making it a viable revenue stream by building an audience, by reaching out to, by help, by you guys helping me reach out to, quote, larger influencers, voices bigger than myself, to, um, to leverage, what is it, uh, just social proof, you know, I don't know. It all is pretty illusory, but it must be done. So stay with us, and um, I promise not to advertise to you anymore. Okay, be right back.
Okay, we're back. Are you back? Do you have a a beverage, a smoke, a cookie? So we were speaking moments ago about apparently or ostensibly, you know, practical-minded voices. coming to the fore in media, social media, maybe around you, Um, making all sorts of claims, you know, regarding the, the true nature, you know, of the collapse, the true paths out to pull this plane out of its seemingly terminal dive just before it smashes into the mountain. And we've made, in, in no uncertain terms, the claim that, in large part, it may not seem like it, but this is the voice of fear. This is somebody looking forward, realizing that whatever their lifestyle may be, It may be, in the near future, undermined. There may be some subtractions. A lack of faith in yourself, in your ability to whatever, do your job, you know, will undermine your performance, ultimately. And it's easy in a world where performance, the main areas that that's measured, I mean, what, 85% of it, if you're rich, you're good, right? Well, he's rich, so he can't be that bad. Um, no. As Anton Chigurh asked, if the rule brought you to this, meaning brought you to the position where you're looking at death in the form of a suppressed Remington autoloader pointed at your nuts. If the rule brought you to this, then what good was the rule? Was the rule the Constitution that brought us to this? Some would say yes. I may be among them, but I don't think that's the whole story. The rule that brought us to this is a lack of faith, and much is much bullshit is thrown around, uh, even on our side of the internet. You know, regarding. these grand historical death of God, what have you. Um, Damn near every hero I have was a Christian. And they weren't, you know, like usually church going, you know, geeky ass uh, Christian. That wasn't the part that mattered. 
you know, rock and sand. The organizing principle of money is inherently corrupt. It's sand. The organizing principle that I've danced around in many ways myself uh, is the logos, is the way, an integration with the world at all levels. This is not an option if one determines that his lifestyle will um, consist of thoughts, acts, behaviors, relationships, patterns that go directly against the Logos. And how can you have faith in those circumstances? On Instagram, which is sort of our not-so-cozy home base of operations right now, I made a passing claim or statement, I guess, that uh, I don't place a lot of emphasis in external hierarchy. This goes to, you know, this notion of seeking external validation. Uh, interrogator types, profilers, um, predators of various sorts will they have like a, a sense for this. If you seek external validation, um, I think you're more subject, you're more, you know, it's easier to find a place of purchase to begin tearing you apart. And that may be as deep as it goes. You know, it may not be that just because my... Um, need for this external validation is markedly I mean in my particular case it's it's pretty ridiculous and it you know it places uh, it makes things actually uncomfortable in a lot of areas of life because you know what computes for a group of six or seven people and then I'm standing there like fuck no I'm not doing that you know that doesn't always <laughs> doesn't make for uh smooth transitions all the time but it doesn't just end there this uh, critique uh, expose on this idea of external hierarchy in the Peterson evolutionary vein which is shared with you know many many folks who are sort of uh, lost in uh, various manosphere tactical related ancillary internet realms the, the idea is like you know the stems this is somehow part of human nature stemming up from the lobster and carried forth I'm going to do my best to limit this hard. So in this discussion with Peterson, Verveke, Pajot, Bishop Barron, a podcast recently discussing what Verveke calls the crisis of meaning, 
they arrive pretty quickly, you know, at an admission, which is great, uh, that scientism and a world propelled by scientism and people who operate, you know, inside of a certain worldview uh, will take that worldview on, will personalize it and internalize it and act out its dictates, etc. Obvious, obvious stuff. Uh, you know, this leads to, in fact, not a utopia, but um, massive, widespread, and very diverse forms of human suffering and death. Taking this, as you would imagine, from two religious guys and two science guys, or clinical sort of guys, um, you know, these the top-down from God or the bottom-up from, I guess, evolution, and then, of course, science, because science, even though science cannot prove itself, it can prove everything else. Science cannot prove itself. Science cannot prove its own value beyond its value, uh, evidently, to adhere to the organizing principle of money. But... Um, Rather quickly, uh, Pajot, God bless his soul, steps in, <laughs> almost uh, not quite stunned, but, you know, a little bit off kilter. Maybe, you know, like, it's almost as if he's saying, like, fuck, this falls to me to, to do this? Like, you got these, you know, these two, quote, big brain guys and a bishop of the Catholic Church here, and he introduces St. Maximus the Confessor, whose cosmology, you know, does not fall for this binary, top-down, bottom-up thing. He fully understands what we've referred to as panentheism, God in all things, all, all, with A, capital A, capital L, in your hair, in space, in the molecule, in the cosmos, in your thoughts, in the dream, in the dreamer, in the dream of the dreamed dreamer, recursive levels all the fucking way down so that we are entirely supported and contingent upon um, or conditional to, in Kantian terms, God. You didn't just arrive here in this desolate, you know, predatory universe and spilled out of your mother's womb into the dust and then, you know, picked up a fucking six-shooter. Or a pen, for that matter. And we'll detour back. so Or we'll, we'll pull out of this detour quick. Because it is a real mire. Believe me, I've, I've been struggling with it hard. So, um, check our recording. Yep, we're good. Solid. So, the idea that there's external hierarchies. Alpha, beta, whatever. Um, you know, is sort of like, okay, there's two versions. Maybe it could be in the way that, you know, certain musical tones and scales are more pleasing to the Western ear, apparently, but not the Asian ear. Maybe there are certain behavior patterns um, that are more appealing or maybe just more efficient uh, than others. A PhD psychology friend of mine pointed out that the the alpha, beta, sigma, all of that sort of uh, labeling system was never really meant at all to 
to be what it has become. And I think, you know, I know that a lot of the more intelligent um, commenters, anons, frogs, etc., um, understand this. A lot of others really don't. I think that, um, again, those more susceptible to this need for external validation fall prey to it hard, you know, um, to be an alpha. Uh, to be an alpha in the, in the just ridiculous, like, why would you want to be that? It seems to me that um, you're kind of the most duped. In a way, you're the least essential. And you're probably going to be the first to be scapegoated by forces, lar- forces larger than yourself or your clan or your, your war band, what have you. Um, I don't profess to have really, you know, studied these because again, this is not, this isn't, the warrior's way is much more, it's in a category, it's in a true category. Okay. That's what I think we want to say. The idea of external hierarchies, um, is entirely man-made and we don't make truth. We discover truth. We arrive at truth. Truth may be presented to us in revelation or through um, experiment, etc. Work, life, um, the strange synergy from which, you know, synergy between like experience and uh, suffering and brain power that from which arises what we call wisdom. Could you broadly apply these terms and sort of be accurate? Maybe, but I'm not really convinced at all. I go back to a number of examples. Paint the picture real quick. So we drop into like 1860, nobody famous. It's not Kit Carson, but we're way out on the frontier and... uh, Fuck it, we're hunting, you know, scalps. Let's just take Blood Meridian and make it easy. So is Glanton an alpha? Is he somehow... Um, how does that work between he and the judge? The judge is like borderline supernatural. I mean, he is kind of supernatural. Is he the alpha? Is Glanton... If you don't know the story, stop the podcast and flog yourself for not having read Blood Meridian 12 or uh, 25 times and then return to this discussion. How about the kid? Is the kid the true alpha? Maybe Toadvine's the first, the, the true alpha. You know, he's been to prison, had his ears cut off, been in countless scrapes. I don't really care to get into any of, again, these sort of uh, human-derived explanations for these, these particular categories. Is it useful for maybe some certain organizations? Fine, I don't care. It's not a metaphysical category. It's not extant in the same way that uh, 
does you know does the number seven exist do seven apples on the table what we call seven exist independent of us knowing about the numeral seven or maybe calling it uh, pomegranate instead of seven does the word no it's the fact that they're this is extant so you can piss and moan and continue to return to this or you can Except that a fallen creature is very likely to to um, find himself enmeshed in, for lack of a better term, fallen habits. We have this idea in uh, psychological literature. I, it, it may be called the victim, persecutor, rescuer. It's this weird triad between between those three and they, they play off of each other and it springs up and then disappears and people recreate it and patterns in their lives until finally they break out of this mold. This could be one of these dangerous areas where, you know, um, certain narratives that, that may seem to serve you on the one hand, they may seem to align with your values and your instincts are actually being leveraged in strange ways against you. Because, as St. Maximus the Confessor pointed out, and I, I have attempted in my um, rather limited way to describe this essential, primary, way before you get to think about it or make a category or discuss it or even think about it. Your existence and my existence and every, the existence of everything is absolutely dependent upon. Again, these terms aren't quite... Um, you need to wrestle with them. I did for a while before not even the full picture, but enough of the picture to fill in to get the idea. Um, I'll say more about this at another time, but to say that, you know, we live in a dream and carry another dream within. And objectivity and uh, this idea of objectivity versus subjectivity is ultimately obliterated by the fact of God's supremacy in being, in existence. I think that I'll have more to say about that particular type of formulation. But as we've attempted before to illustrate, you know, what is the warrior's way? Well, it's, it's a logoi. It's an aspect of the scaffolding that God has created for man. The limitations, as well as the gifts and the opportunity, and however you want to view that. If you're God and you can create any type of world, this is the world he created. He set the constants of gravity. He created hair. He created lice. All of these things did not if you, if you can get away from, you know, even if it's just a thought exercise for you, if you're a thinker, 
if you're an artist, if you're um, an engineer, if you are a rebel, if you're anything, a neo-pagan, put it to your own thought experiment. And what seems to be suggested is that you know, order arises somehow out of chaos. And if it did, that itself would imply some type of pre-existing order. So that doesn't quite work, does it? And to say that you would arrive randomly at order through enough death and suffering would be very supportive of you know, the scientific and technocratic argument, which is presently shredding the entire world and potentially whatever you want to call it, the human race, the earth, what have you. The fact of God's absolute centrality to your thoughts, the fact that I say a word or you have a thought, it's not as if God eventually gets to it. God permeates. That's why God is, is it, it's one of the most, it's like one of the most evil deeds ever done. This identification with God as this bearded old man in the sky. The most learned theologians, dudes who would, I mean, probably had Jedi fucking skills, who would melt your faces just, just by coming in contact with these types of people, you know, you'd probably be changed. You know, these types of stated, um, in many, in many, many ways, that it's a it's a mystery, and I think that you know critics take this to mean, oh, so I just got to take that on faith. And then, you know, we throw back at them, well, you already take almost everything on faith. And then they run away. It's hard for me to imagine going back to this, you know, steering the plane up before it hits the side of the mountain. Um... Under these conditions, you know, can we live in disagreement? Sure, we can. Do we have to agree on everything to formulate a political, quote, solution? No. And at least not, history does not suggest that. Not always, anyway. But it does not solve um, the ongoing issues. You know, it doesn't solve the, the resource problem. It doesn't solve the, uh, the, the issues of Food got to go in people's mouths, dude. Who going to make it? How are you going to reward them for doing that? How are you going to structure and organize your society? And speaking of it in terms of a mystery, you know, these saints always um, suggest you know, to us certain ways of living. 
certain facts. Uh, they make metaphor. They, they attempt to move us away, you know, into sacred space is one way of saying it. But to move us away from these dependencies upon something as common that I even find myself still falling prey to this objectivity versus subjectivity divide. If I have a giant microbiome in my gut, which is affecting my thoughts, which I do, which you do as well, uh, who's doing the thinking? To say an ambu ambiguity such as this, that this dude's an alpha, this dude's a beta, this dude's omega, I gotta drink some supplements, I need another uh, 1911. It falls a little flat, you know? It's a little fucking shallow. And um, this old, you know, returning, what was it, Einstein? Attempting to solve problems at the same level from which they arose ain't going to work. I favor, I can't say, you know, we'll call this a detour because I favor um, something more like the ultimate freedom. And I do not believe, even though that is another thing that's much bandied about by how many people who, who make these claims back to the old saw for this podcast have even shit in the woods. Have you ever killed anything with your bare hands? How many things have you killed with your bare hands? Was there a struggle? There are many, many examples, you know, that we could run into and detour into this raw um, experience. And the point about, you know, all my heroes were Christians was to say that all of these men who, the mountain men, mercenaries, exiles, scouts, trackers, They did not know about Alpha or Beta. Whatever hierarchy you imposed on them was temporary. As John Taylor Gatto said, among these men who presumably, you know, this early population, if you had suggested to them that they should get a job, they would have looked at you like you were crazy. Are we going to pull this plane up and then give everybody a job to make another guy rich again? Because I'm not in. It's going to tell you that right now. That may be what I have to do in order to survive. And my code, uh, well detailed at this point, allows for that. But it doesn't embrace it as, as an ideal. And it's not going to stay shut up about it either.
the primacy of spirit going back again to this top down bottom up seeming you know evident dichotomy which has clearly been one of the major cognitive uh tools the expansion of this the agitation of the two sides the proliferation of a kind of like an attitude of this being this you know just central just god how are we ever going to solve this problem we can't do it we just can't you know know If you were afraid, how would you ever know if there's two points of view or a million points of view? You would never get beyond your fear. You would never know. This is simple shit. Simple like conspiracy theory 101, the dialectic. And scientism does not bring meaning. Science cannot do science upon itself. The suffering that the folks in this podcast that we refer to describe, that listeners of this podcast are well versed in, this is a spiritual problem. These saints, these martyrs, um, holy men of many cultures throughout time, all, you know, time immemorial, have counseled us to turn inward. Never that I know of did one of them say, cast your eyes outward and find the, the lobster manifestation, the crustacean network among your fellow men. Label them in various demeaning ways and then hope that this brings about a unifying solution, a political even solution. The Zen-like stuff can be, you know, described in terms involving diagrams and verbiage about frequencies or, and I'm, you know, more diagrams. We can do it in terms of personal power. Space, which we've done, you know, interiority, space contested, owned, tested, But insofar as the apocalypse, which is what I think the apocalypse really is, is some type of forcing of unity through fire and death uh, between the true and the false. Apocalypse is going to arrive you, you know, at St. Maximus the Confessor's um, description of the cosmos that you are created in the image of God that you occupy a central position looking down into the infinitude potentially 
you know, of layers, micro upon micro, and up into the cosmos and the macro, expanding and expanding. And you're left, you're, you're tasked with wondering, um, participating in awe, and as we've said in these terms, you know, more accessible, perhaps, Eliadian hierophanies, rituals of, of self-sacrifice. I do not think that continuing to participate in uh, what really is a type of game, you know, it's like hungry, hungry hippos, like who got the most marbles? This takes us back around to the cunning of reason. Hegel. As E. Michael Jones points out in his uh, discussion of this uh, phenomena, epiphenomena, the cunning of reason, reason itself is brought to heel, as in yanked. And in our situation, collapse towards something unifying through fire and death will continue to barrel forward. This is my view. We've spoken about the Logoi, and I've suggested, though I don't know how many of were aware of the Logoi or looked it up or what have you, this again is, you know, various structures, um, placed internal and external, at, and, you know, using these, these terms in which we are currently mired, this world view, and the world view is the problem. If we were to take the master's suggestion and turn inward, how likely is that? You know, we swing the plane up, we avoid narrow catastrophe. Brilliant uncorrupt, good-hearted engineers of all types pool their resources to, to make a perfect or near-perfect but hasty reconfiguration of resources that allows a massive, you know, healing project for us to turn inward. I'd be all for it. I'd be the first motherfucker in line. Likely, you decide. But the Logoi, insofar, you know, this is an area that I've had a lot of success or uh, it's been an, a very accessible avenue to approach this stuff, to understand that there is internal order and we are bound by that. And there is, quote, external order, you know, in terms of 
where we can go, what we can do, free will, the constants uh, you know that we experience in our perception, gravity, light, dark, what have you, etc. All of this stuff, and all of this stuff again is, if you will, in you know, in the dream of God, in the mind of God, and due to this character that we're dealing with, an infinite, um, all-powerful sort of care that we, you know, again, stuck in the middle uh, in these hologram-type terms, you know, a shard of an, an image of, of our creator, Sorge, this extensive, intense care verging but not crossing into anxiety, this is what we actually have. We don't have political orders. We don't have economic solutions other than as, you know, and this is what the, the terms that they will be brought in by, you know, dudes that are now on your side are the same terms that they're being brought in right now. But the organizing principle underlying all of that is the exact same. Therefore, the result will be very fucking similar. Did that follow? We've talked about open-mindedness here and there. And one of my fears for the rural man, who I like, and I like, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, city men, if we want to call them that, uh, open-mindedness, I don't know that it, um, you know, has, it locates itself in the city or or the country, but it's much more, it's much more highly rewarded, you know, in urban, progressive types of environments. And ironically, I think that the type of collapse that we are in for, uh, will favor the open-minded. John Michael Greer has semi-famous adage, you know, collapse now and avoid the rush. That's not the type of thing that somebody who's desperate to uh, secure his urban metro sexual, you know, uh, gym routine and, uh, you know, facial care routine and um, travel routine and the likes on Instagram and what have you. This fellow, be him conservative or liberal or whatever, is going to, is, is that, would those people unify eventually under um, the auspices of some type of emergency contingency plan to help limp along what is really, you know, an operation resulting in mass suffering and death, only we've shifted the labels and categories a little bit, reorganize some folks um, so that now maybe the power emanating from the barrel of the gun is shaping up a little bit differently than how it looks right now where fucking A, you know, uh, the red team clearly has all, all the guns. 
even though the blue team seems to be making a monopoly on the biggest guns of them all, you know, those owned by the military. How is that going to play out, I wonder? Um, could be, you know, enough to, to bring about fear. This central point that we occupy in this conundrum that is is not going to be dismissed by um, contingencies, by desperation, by, no, 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 I'm really, really sorry this time, but I, I really mean it. I'm going to do good this time. I'm going to do, no, you're not. This panentheism knows. It, again, the masters say it knows more about you than you do. If the microbiome uh, and, you know, the second brain that we have that's actually pre-thinking what I'm saying right now that I already thought of this a minute ago or whatever, that there indicates, you know, some timing, some all kinds of stuff, accountability, truth, self-deception. How's all that square up to a man-made external hierarchy other than to just perseverate the problem of man being fallen? And in this admonition to turn inward, we're told the rewards are uh, arising, you know, letting fear pass through you so that only you remain. And to make a habit of this and then confront the ground of um, removing contradictions, sorting through to arrive at what is truly mysterious and what may only be, um, you know, clouded in mystery temporarily. Our existence rests in, depends upon, is only possible through this extraordinary omniscient care and our ability to mirror that out in the form of our works, in the form of our care for ourselves, in the attendance to the interiority of ourselves, that's a form of worship. That's abiding by God's law. It is said that God, and, you know, this is brought up or this will arise in atheist versus theist sort of debates or what have you where, well, how do you know that God wants that? You know, well, how do you, and then the other guy says, well, how do you know that um, a big bang can emerge from nothing? And then they stare at each other. And this goes on for 500 or fucking 800 years. God is supra-rational. And this is like a whisper, you know, a wind. that I heard the wind, but I don't know what the fuck it was trying to... What was it? We don't have supra-rationality. We have this, you know, inverted, recursive image of super rationality in the form of our rationality 
Let me pause. To have faith in men of money or men who sought money and then decided to seek power or to have faith in men who sought external validation and now seek money or now seek power or then sought money and got it and decided to go then for power. If this seems rational to you, um, back to Shigur, you know, where is this rule going to arrive you at, at the barrel of a gun? And how good was that rule? But my honor, you know, but my tats. But, but my external validation. But your bullshit. Turning inward, reflecting sorge, seeking hierophany, persisting in the uncertainty, letting fear pass through you, and witnessing it. Politicians are not warriors. <laughs> you know, at one time, occasionally soldiers or kings, you know, uh, to continue to, it's just a circle jerk, man. It's just an endless circle jerk to continue to try and, you know, get blood from the stone. You have this fallen creature that your evolutionarily based mindset worldview will say is, you know, self-interested and prone to manipulation, self-deception, all sorts of other shit. 2% of them are just straight up sociopaths who will cut your fucking throat. You're fallen. And I, um, yeah, I know. It it's forever going to seem to you that that faith is impossible. And I think it's true that you know what the saints and the church will say about, you know, the gift of suffering. If you can make it through trauma, if you can pull out of your trauma loop, if you can use the power of breath work, uh, experiences of awe, hierophany, and you can amass enough personal power, um, you're probably going to survive the, quote, collapse. If you seek external validation, which is like level one of the nine levels that we just went through, it's the most obvious one. I think uh, your, your odds of survival start to plummet.
So let's check our time here. Oh yeah. yeah. Again. Okay. I'm going to close out by offering, you know, an admission. An admission. Um, in a way of, you know, blending discussion of gear. Pardon me. Discussions of uh, metaphysic, metaphysical concern, collapse. We touched on some politics. We touched on some social theories. We touched on Hell, we even made a Western reference, I think, in there. I will admit to you that if the plane is going to be this metaphorical plane of our modern society, okay? If the plan is to pull that up just in time to not hit the mountain and then level her back out and keep going. My presumption would be that this, while it may be adorned, even festooned with the trappings of some sort of win, some sort of uh, turn in history, some type of, you know, realignment, uh, return. I'm presuming that what it, what it truly indicates, given a continued adherence to the organizing principle of money in your heart and all that comes with that. And it's a lot. There are... Maybe, I don't even know. I mean, layer upon layer upon layer of interior deception. You fooling you. And then you acting that out for a few years. Nobody calling out on it. And you believing that. And then you building up some other walls against that other shit. For quite a while. That's what the organizing principle means. Interior and exterior. That's the state of things. Objective, subjective, we can fight over this forever. The facts are the facts, and we'll all go to our deaths with those. You can go blind, full of fear, or you can embrace actual, you know, spiritual, metaphysical uh, as well as whatever you want to call it, physical, you know, ambiguity. That's why the word ectoplasm is so brilliantly useful. This slime. But um, if the adherence to this dollar sign organizing principle is to per be uh, perseverated, I am going to assume that an emphasis 
if not maybe even worse, um, you know, uh, sort of like return to sleeping with respect to substitutional activity as Uncle Ted and his uh, MK Ultra addled yet brilliant mind put it. If that's the deal, um, no, I'm not asking or allowing anybody to place the label of an accelerationist on me. That's not, these are not the terms. I don't not have to seek validation through these cobbled together, coughed up horseshit categories. Though you can go ahead and, you know, somebody can paint anybody with anything they want. It's completely meaningless. The point is that if you want to ultimately just preserve the status quo, even again, if festooned with the trappings of honor and uh, a, quote, noble win, then uh, no, I'm not in. It's not preferable at all. And I would favor um, a righteous fight um, or even nothing as opposed to what do you what would you call it us like two degrees up from the old lukewarm? Order may arise out of, you know, human chaos at times, but order does not arrive at the cosmic or microscopic uh, or otherwise level just out of nothing. It's inherently, it's there already. And that's, to me, the solution to Verveke's never-ending uh, circular return to the, the crisis meaning, or excuse me, the, you know, the, the crisis meaning, meaning crisis? What do I mean? this meaning crisis it's 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 evident jonathan peugeot in like the first 10 minutes of the thing just coughed it just spat it right out well there's already um not only um you know a proposal or it's a system there's a whole system not only does it exist already to explain this it's coherent and yours isn't neither is your opposition So bearing witness um, or, you know, and then in uh, Mr. Junger's terms, uh, showing up at the door with an axe, perfectly fine with me. And um, unless something quite miraculous, it would seem to me, given our our circumstances were to arise that made it past all of my bullshit detectors um yeah i'm ready to ready to um to take action you know to to put skin in the game but right now my read on the situation is that 
you know, Shigur is, is like these photos that I post on Instagram. There's a mirror on either side image, you know, a split image where Shigur is facing both directions. That bitch and shotgun points both directions and the dialectic is about to converge and um, some well-embedded characters are, are, and I mean well-embedded, like a lot of people are not going to have any clue, will arise and, uh, you know, from there a further dialectic will be rolled out of that. Um, what's the old uh, thesis? antithesis, synthesis. Shigur is there to make your synthesis. And your synthesis is, uh, in the present conditions, what's being offered is more suffering and meaningless death. And uh, being that I promised, no more advertising, I will instead thank you very kindly for the uh, handful of men who made it through the entirety of this podcast, even though maybe it took you a week. I really appreciate it. And if you have comments, if you want to have a discussion about it, you want to um, shoot me a DM or an email, I cannot promise, you know, super prompt reply but I will absolutely consider it and I will reply uh, as soon as possible. So with that, uh, thank you very much. Until next time, take care.